Luke chapter 6. Today I want to talk to you about practice. Luke chapter 6, 46. We're just going to read three verses. This is what the Bible says. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? This is Jesus talking. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Anybody feel an earthquake this morning? Did y'all feel that? I felt that. I was sitting in my seat. I said, did anybody feel the house shake? And they're all looking at me like, what's wrong with you? Verse 49 says, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and watch this, its destruction was complete. Its destruction was complete. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. We thank you that your word is powerful today. It can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's the discerner of hearts, and not just the heart, but the intention, the, the motive for why we do what we do. You're that deep, and so we thank you for your word today that comes to make us alive with you, to quicken our spirits, to to do what you called us to do. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Years ago, has anybody in the room ever heard of a guy named Allen Iverson? Yeah. Allen Iverson. Okay, Allen Iverson was a basketball player that was uh, really popular when I was growing up. I remember watching him in high school and uh, actually saw him in uh, Virginia Beach in the Hampton Roads area playing when I was, when I was a little younger. And I watched him as he progressed through high school. Then I watched him as he got into college at Georgetown. Then I watched him as he was drafted into the NBA by the Philadelphia 76ers. And he had an incredible career. And one of the things that really defines Allen Iverson's career is this one interview that he had years ago when he was having some issues with the coaching staff and things like that. And they were challenging kind of his work ethic. And he was very upset about this. And he said one of these incredible lines throughout, you know, the history of sports that we will remember forever. He said, practice? We talking about practice? He said, I'm the franchise player, and you want to ask me about practice. For years, I assumed that Allen Iverson didn't value practice because that was a soundbite from an interview that lasted longer than just what we heard. Just a few months ago, I watched a documentary about Allen Iverson, and he broke down that entire conversation. That was actually a long conversation that was not just about his value of practice, but him as an entire athlete, his kind of his journey. And what Allen Iverson was saying is he was, he, was, he was describing it this way. He said, the reason I was so frustrated that they wanted to talk to me about practice and me being the franchise player, is because how do you think I became the franchise player if I didn't value practice? How do you think I got to this position where you're interviewing me about basketball if I didn't value practice? Because nobody just shows up in the NBA. 
especially a six foot one skinny kid. So he's, he's frustrated because you're asking me about my value of practice when I'm six one and in the NBA and one of the best players to ever play in this league. So it got me to think a little bit differently about Allen Iverson's work ethic. And that's really the truth. Nobody just shows up anywhere successful just by showing up. You have worked your way into it. You have practiced your way into it. Now, I want to talk to you just about a few things out of this this portion of Scripture that is really so powerful. And there's so much more than I'll even be able to get to. But first of all, we have to talk about the flood. Jesus says that floods are going to come. Not just to people who do the right things, but to people who do the bad things. Floods are an equal opportunity destroyer. They're going to come to every person in this room. Storms are going to hit every single life in this room. I need to tell you this before we move any further. Just because you serve Jesus doesn't mean you're exempt from the storm. Can somebody in the room who's gone through a few things and knows Jesus say amen right now? Just because you know him doesn't mean you are exempt from the storm. As a matter of fact, when you look throughout scripture, it's some of Jesus' closest friends that went through some of the craziest stuff. His friend Lazarus dies. And the family is frustrated with Jesus because he didn't show up before he died to heal his sickness. Because there is an assumption that just because I'm close to Jesus, I shouldn't go through what everybody else goes through. And you will misunderstand everything about God if you think that proximity to Jesus makes you exempt from difficult things. Can somebody in the room just put your hands together and say, hey, he's right, he's, 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 he's right. I've, I've lived long enough to... He's right. So the flood actually comes to everybody, and the flood comes to test the foundation. Floods reveal what you have built your life on. How many of you would agree that this pandemic has been a revealer of what is really in people's heart? (laughs) Because this has hit everybody, and it's exposed the real version of so many people. So that's the truth about floods. Let's talk more about this digging, this digging. So Jesus says there's a group of people, they're calling him Lord, but they're not doing what he says. And that is because most people want a Savior, they don't want a Lord. I'll never forget being a young person. One of the things I remember my dad repeated over and over in my life, he would say, son, Billy Graham always said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. And most people want a savior. They want somebody in to come in and sweep them off their feet and save the day. Very few people want a Lord. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with a lot of people who are like, wow, you're incredible. But they won't obey his word. Wow, you're amazing. But I I have no interest in doing what you said. Man, I love coming to Calvary Church, but I don't have any interest in actually obeying God on Monday morning. Okay. (laughs) And so Jesus begins to talk about there's a distinction. There's a distinction between people 
who just want a Savior and people who want a Lord. He says, everyone who wants a Lord, he says, they are like a man who builds his house on the rock. And they dug so deep that they were actually able to find the rock. And so when the flood came and when the torrent hit that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. Now, what is the rock? What's the point of the rock? Well, Psalm 89, 26 tells us that God, he is our rock. He is our salvation. He is, matter of fact, he is the rock of myself. He is, he is the thing that all of this is planted in and on. Is there anybody thankful that this church is not built on me? This church is not built on a personality. This church is not built on our elders. This church is built. You ought to be a little bit more excited about it than that because if, if it was built on me, then you can plan for it to fail. But because it's built on Jesus, come on, it's going to last for generations. And I'm not interested in a church that's built around a personality. I need a church that's going to be around for my kids and my grandkids. I need a church that after that pastor dies, there's going to be another one raised up in the name of Jesus. All right. So digging, he says. Digging is this process where you get all of the dirt out of the way so that you can get to the rock. So Jesus is saying, dig deep. Dig deep. And as you dig, what you are doing is you are removing everything that isn't strong enough to build on. <laughs> this is why sometimes we confuse the devil and the shovel. Here's what a lot of people do. They, they start to dig. They get saved, they give their life to Jesus, they make a decision for God, they decide, hey, I'm going to get rid of this habit, I'm going to start this new thing, I'm going to do this. And they start to dig, and they start to realize that as they're digging, they're, 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 they're not only digging up dirt, they're digging up dirty people. <laughs> dirty relationships, dirty habits, uh, dirty behaviors, stuff that they want to build their life on, but they've realized that they can't build their life on that foundation. Have you ever tried to build your life on something that God told you not to build it on and then realized that God was right and you were wrong? If you've, if you've experienced God being right and you being wrong at least five times in your life, just go ahead and throw that hand up in the air. I have built my life on things and sometimes on relationships that I thought were godly, but listen to me, just because something is godly doesn't mean it's God. Okay? <laughs> so he's saying, dig deep. Dig deep until you hit the rock. Sometimes, again, we confuse the shovel with the devil, and so we think when they leave us, we should stop digging there. We think when that fails, we should stop digging there. When we get sick, we should stop digging there. But here's the thing. Sometimes they, live, they leave you so you can get to the rock. <laughs> Sometimes the business fails so that you can get to the rock. Sometimes that sickness comes so that you can see the rock. So what do I do when it looks like dirt is being thrown around all around me, I just keep on digging. I keep praying. I keep coming to church. I keep on loving. I keep on giving. Listen to me. Slow is not the devil. 
Slow is not the devil. Slow is very often how God works. Remember the Bible says, and we shout about it when we're in an encounter with God. We say, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. The Bible teaches us that one day with God is like a thousand elsewhere. (laughs) That means that to get to that one day, you could experience a thousand elsewheres. So God sometimes, listen to this, I heard Stephen Furtick say this just recently. He said, sometimes God uses distance in our feelings to call us deeper in our faith. Hebrews 12 and 27 says, all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Aren't you thankful today that your house was built to withstand 5.1 on the Richter scale? It's what they say. I saw the reports. It was a 5.1 earthquake was registered. I don't know where exactly the epicenter was, but that was 5.1. He says, some things shake so that the stuff that can be shaken gets removed so that what is unshakable remains. One of the things you need to pray and ask God to do in your life is shake off Everything that can be shaken off of my life. Everything. But here's the problem. Some people are more concerned about going up than they are digging down. If you really want to dig deep, that means sometimes you're going to have to be willing to work in places where people don't see it. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to work on yourself when people don't see it. So here's the thing. Some people might finish first. My goal is to finish. Because everybody that finishes first in life doesn't always finish life. I'm not interesting. I'm not really interested in how you started. I'm interested in how do you finish. Listen, all of us have a different starting point. But all of us have the same goal in mind. It's Christ. I want to finish in Christ. I don't, I don't want to be a flash in the pan. I don't want to, one day they sit back and they say, man, that Robbie Hilton, man, he was, he was really something in his 30s and 40s. But he, he you know, in his 50s, he kind of, kind of fell off the the map. What happened to him? Well, he, he, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be that way. I want to finish well. And to finish well, you have to dig deep. (laughs) So what the Bible is telling us, listen, it's not just about hearing the right things. Because Jesus is saying, listen, both of these people are hearing the same thing. But only one of them is doing it. James says this in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer, but who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So Jesus is saying not everybody is exempt from the storm. But obedient people are exempt from total destruction. Some of you need to listen to that really intently today. Not every person in this room is exempt from the storm. But the people in this room who obey are exempt from total destruction. Man. That's Bible. I don't need you to like it. I need you to do it. (laughs) So, if... If Jesus is telling us to dig deeper, how do I dig deeper? More important, what do I need to value so that digging deeper is a value of mine? Because this is not just about blindly doing God's word. This isn't about just reading it and just doing it. No, this is about practice. This is about doing it over and over and over again. This is about developing perseverance in doing. The blessing is in the doing. And some of the things that we are supposed to do for God, we cannot just do once. Like I can't just tell the truth once. I have to keep telling the truth upon the truth upon the truth upon the truth so that I can build a life of integrity. I can't tell the truth here and a lie there and be a person of integrity. I have to tell the truth. If I don't tell the truth consistently, then I'm building my life on a shaky foundation. So it's not just about hearing the right things and doing them once. It's about practice. So to dig deeper, I must value what Jesus calls practicing the word of God. Practice. It wasn't luck that hit the forehead of Goliath? David didn't just, just like, what can I, what can I? And he picked the sling up and he said, man, I hope this works, man, I hope this works. And throw it and he's like, and then God grabbed it and directed it and hit Goliath. No, the Bible doesn't say anything about God grabbing the stone and hitting Goliath with it. No, that stone hit the forehead of Goliath because David had practiced. I'm telling you, sometimes we think this is why you need a Lord and not just a Savior. You need a God who's going to cause you to value Practice because so much of what's going to happen in your life, so much of the victory that's going to come into your life is not going to be because God took the stone and hit Goliath. It's going to be because you were prepared for the battle. And if you don't prepare for the battle, you won't know what to fight the enemy with. 
When Saul tried to fit David into his armor, he said, get this off of me. I can't use this. I haven't tested this. And some of us haven't tested anything long enough to have confidence in any of our weapons. Practice. I can really show you your future by looking at what you practice daily. Practice. It's the ability to choose what I want most over what I want now. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27, the apostle said, he said, I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Notice this. To defeat the enemy, I must first defeat me. Because here's the thing. You will never defeat the enemy if you can't beat your own shadow. So Paul says, I've got to learn how to beat my shadow before I have any chance in defeating the enemy that wants to destroy my life. See, your biggest problems are not outside of you. Your biggest problems are the shadows that you're running from on the inside of you. And Paul is saying, listen, if you will deal with yourself in private, you will not have to worry about yourself in public. But for most Christians, our public demonstration exceeds our private devotion. So Jesus is warning against this. He's warning on building a house too quickly and on a shaky foundation. Why? Because we want it done fast. We don't want to take our time. We want everybody to think something. We want people to look and to say, wow, look at that. We want to be the first to finish. And God is saying, that is not how I work. I work through practice. Man. And when I practice, this is what I do. I repeat. This is so important. When I practice, I repeat the right thing until the right thing becomes the reward. Here's the problem with us. We only do things for a goal in mind. So the only reason many of us start working out in January in a new year is because we want a summer body. So we start working out because we want to look good in the summer. Here's the problem with people who just work out because they want a summer body. They they usually quit. Because somewhere in between January and June, you you have this particular set of time where you don't see a lot of results. And when you don't see the results you're looking for, when you're putting in all of this work, you quit. Why? Because you haven't seen the picture, the goal that you had in mind. But people who actually accomplish their goals are the people who do the right thing to do the right thing. For the reward of doing the right, I'm going to do this not because I want a summer body. I'm going to do this because it's the best thing for my long-term health. I'm going to sacrifice what I want now for what I want most (laughs) see the mark of maturity 
is our ability to repeat the right things until doing the right things becomes our reward. If the reward is your reward, you're going to spend most of your life frustrated. There are very few moments in life where you reap rewards. Most of the life, most of your life is spent in the struggle period <laughs> to get to the reward. That's why the Bible says, he that endures till the end. This is, there, there is no, there is no, there is, <laughs> there is no quick route. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There's no way around the valley of the shadow of death. There is not a grace that comes into your life that causes you to avoid trouble. There's only a grace that takes you right smack dab through the middle of your trouble. And while some Christians, they get saved and they think, man, now I've got my ticket punched to avoid problems, to avoid difficulty, to avoid bad reports, to avoid trouble in my marriage, to avoid kids that go away from God. No, you you, you misunderstood the whole thing. You, You got saved so that you could have a God who is with you when you walk through the trouble, when you walk through your difficult marriage, when you walk through the bad doctor's report, when you walk through your kids struggling and suffering. (laughs) so the right thing has to become the reward not the reward so my dad told me when I was growing up he said son we don't give to get getting is the reward that most people give for we give to give again what does that do that changes up my motivation so I'm not giving so my bank account will be full I'm giving so that I can give again. My reward is not the ability to have a lot of stuff. My reward is the ability to give a lot of stuff. Come on, man. And when, you're, when your motivation changes, your results will change. For example, rest. Rest cannot be a response to exhaustion. So many of us, we get to this point, we're like, man, I need a vacation. I've been there. I need a vacation. <laughs> like, I need to get out of here. And so much of our rest is a reaction to our exhaustion. And so much of our anxiety is not really the pressure of life. It's the result of our repetition. It's the result of our practices. Some of you pulled in this parking lot, ticked off today. You just got here barely on time, yelling at the kids. And you're like, you have all of this anxiety. A lot of our anxiety is because of our routine. If you wouldn't leave at 920... Red lights wouldn't frustrate you as much. Do you notice the stuff that makes us angry? I'm getting every red light. And now we think we're cursed. I have the curse. I have the red light curse. 
You left too late. And now what was never intended to be a frustration to you, but protection is now ticking you off. You're flipping red lights off. Why? Because you didn't develop a routine that would help you leave earlier so that you would. So if we're always struggling because we have a routine, we are, anybody, know anybody who's routinely late? (laughs) I'm not even going to look at my children right now. (laughs) It's because routine. So what we do very often in our life is we respond to our situations instead of develop routines for our situations. In the same way indecision is a decision, you and I, we all have routines. It's just that some of them aren't developed on purpose. (laughs) So... To value practice, I've got to value repetition. I've got to stop making excuses. Listen, we will all make mistakes, but we have to stop excusing those mistakes. Here's what happens. An excuse becomes a routine that you develop around the things you believe you cannot change. So, since you cannot get out of the prison of your mistake, you'll start decorating your jail cell. This is what we do, man. I can't get out, so I might as well make the best of it. Man. When we make excuses, here's the thing. When we make excuses, it means we care more about our ego than we do change. And to really change, you have to get rid of ego. Because your ego and my ego will keep us from so much that God wants to do in our lives because we're so afraid of what we, we will look like if we really start to deal with us. Repetition. Again, repetition is what takes action from the intellectual to the instinctual level. So if you want something to be instinctual to you, like you're in a situation and you want, you want kindness and forgiveness and grace to be your instinct. You have to do it over and over and over again until it becomes instinctual, not just intellectual. For, for most of us, the Bible is intellectual. It's not instinctual. Because we haven't practiced it enough for it to become a part of our instincts. And it has to be practiced because it's not our natural nature to do God's word. Our natural bend is sin, right? We were born into sin. Our natural bend is to do what we want. So we have to practice God's word so that his word becomes our instinct. Hebrews 5 and 14 says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Every time you intentionally control your behavior, you affirm the power of God over sin in your life. 
It's not something that just happens. You don't just wake up in the morning, the day after you're saved, and all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I don't want to drink anymore. I, I don't want to smoke. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I. No, 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 no. Some people get instantly delivered, but many of us have to walk through this journey called sanctification where we're allowing God's word to get in our lives so much that now we are naturally doing what we used to unnaturally have to make ourselves do. Repetition. Think about it. Joshua. Joshua, when God told him to take the city of Jericho, God said, this is what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to take your people. I want you to march around the walls for seven straight days. It's significant, and we should note this, that in Scripture, the number six represents the efforts or the incomplete effort of man. But the number seven represents the perfection, the complete perfection, the completeness of what God does. Here's here's where we are. Many of us stop at six. Why? Because we don't like repetition. We don't like doing the same thing over and over again. We don't like this. This is monotonous. We don't like this. I've been coming to church for a long time. Nothing's happening. I've been giving in the offering for a long time. Nothing's happening. I've been praying to be healed for a long time. Nothing's happening. I've been asking God to do something in my marriage for a long time. Nothing's happening. And what many of us do is we stop on six because we're like, nothing happened, so I'm just going to try something else. And we stop right before our seventh day. I wonder if there's anybody in the room who would stand on your feet and say, I'm not interested in my incomplete effort. I'm going to walk around this thing until I get to the seventh day. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. But I'm going to see the completeness of what God wants to do in my life. Can somebody give him some praise right now? Oh, you are completing what you started in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He who began a good work is faithful to bring it to its completion. If you'll keep walking, he'll complete it. Don't quit on six. Don't walk away at six. Keep walking until you see it. Keep praying for your kids until they come home. When should I stop believing God for my children? Until they walk through the door and fall on their knees and repent. When should I stop praying for God to do something in my marriage? Until God does something in your marriage. When should I stop believing for a miracle in my health? Until God does a miracle in your health. Don't stop on six. Follow through. Learn to value practice. If, if you get frustrated in the monotonous, you'll never see the miraculous. Most, most of life is monotony. It's waking up in the morning, getting those kids ready for school. I was made for more than this. 
Now, some days you were just made to brush teeth and comb hair and give baths and go to work. And I, I was, I hate this, this dead end job. I was, I'm a world changer. Some, some days you have to just go to dead end jobs. That's good. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking that this word would find a good piece of ground to settle in, in our hearts. Help us to dig up, to dig up the, the ground in our heart so that there can be a place for it to be received deep into our lives. In Jesus' name. Help us in our application. Help us to see the value of practice. Help us to see the value of repetition. Help us to see the value of daily routine with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I love you very much. If there's anyone in the room who needs to make a decision for Jesus today or maybe you've been away from God and you want to make your way back, you want to start that journey back, we'd love to, we'd love to pray with you right now. So I don't know how close or how far you feel away from God, but he's here. He's reaching out. If you'll take his hand, he'll walk you through. So today, I don't know how far away you feel from God, but today, let him, let him pull you in. Don't stand with your hands behind your back. Don't keep your hands in your pockets today. Reach out your hand and take hold of the hand of God and receive his forgiveness, salvation, whatever you need today in Jesus' name. If that's you, I, I'm, I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray this prayer with me today. But, but if this is you, this is specifically for you. Let's pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life today. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 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 I'm going to let you go so we can get this place cleaned up and straightened up for the next service. But thank you for being here. If you prayed that.